Will the liberal NDP supply and confidence agreement run its full course, or will the honeymoon end before 2025? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. About two weeks ago, the parties unwrapped their agreement, which would see the NDP support the minority liberals for progress on some NDP priorities, namely dental care and a pharma program. Now, this is different than a coalition government, to which it's often referred. For one, no NDP members would be in cabinet, which is often the result in a coalition. The conservatives, whom are in the middle of a leadership race, call it backdoor socialism and undemocratic or unpublished vote question asked you will the supply and confidence agreement between the two last until 2025 yes no or unsure and the results of our survey found that absolutely no one believes this will last until 2025 88.46 said no 11 just over 11 and a half were unsure however you're watching and listening to our show whether through our social media channels on facebook twitter and youtube or podcast channels itunes google play spotify iHeartRadio and more. I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP to tell them why. Joining us to discuss the agreement and whether the two parties can get along, pleased to be joined by Nelson Wiseman, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Political Science at the University of Toronto. Tasha Carradine is a post is a principal at Navigator, as well as a conservative strategist and the co-chair of the Jean Charest leadership campaign. Tom Parkin is a commentator and columnist and former NDP candidate. And Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. And I thank you all for joining us. And Nelson, we'll start with you. A lot has been made about this uh, agreement, yet the two parties have been working together since since the pandemic started. So why, the, why bother saying something official? Well, that's a good point. I think the agreement really surprised people because it was clear that the NDP wasn't going to bring down the government. And if the NDP was very unhappy with something, it was clear that the Conservatives or the Bloc were going to prop up the government. That was the situation before the last election. And I expected that that would have continued. Uh, Perhaps the reason it happened, I mean, I'm thinking from the NDP's point of view, and I don't think it was a good decision, is because the NDP thought now they can finally come out and say they have something concrete. Although I actually am skeptical that we're going to get dental care uh, this year as the agreement promises. And that's because virtually everything in the agreement, with one or two exceptions, requires provincial buy-in. And we just saw how long and how hard it was to get all the provinces to buy into child care. And that legislation came down quite a while ago. Uh, Tasha, this, this agreement, does it give conservatives more time for, for their leadership race? And if so, did, did they need it in the first place? Well, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I think. Initially, a number of people thought it was designed to take the wind out of the sails of whoever wins the leadership because uh, there was an anticipation there'd be an election perhaps a few months later um, that the government might be brought down in the next budget cycle, for example, maybe next year. That presumably now will not happen. So it, it doesn't give you that leadership bounce that you sometimes can get. What it does, though, do is it allows the liberals also to see who becomes leader and to adjust themselves accordingly. You know, if Justin Trudeau doesn't want to run, he has the space now to have a leadership on his own in, in his party. But what it also does is it gives the conservatives now also time to prepare. So in a way, that could be to the liberals' disadvantage, especially since, as, as Nelson said, they've moved things now so much closer to the NDP agenda, whether we actually get it or not. 
To me, this vacates the center quite a bit. Mm. And there are a number of liberals who are very unhappy with this deal who are now looking at the conservatives and saying, you know what? Um, maybe you're a more attractive option for us. I'm not saying you members of parliament or anything. I'm saying, you know, liberal rank and file um, who, who feel this is strange. So this could actually work to the conservatives' advantage, depending how the leadership goes, obviously, and which direction the party goes in as well. Tom, Tom how, is, how does the NDP make gains in this, despite the liberals doing the leading on, on pretty well everything here? Uh, they do it by becoming part of the story in a way that they often can't. Uh, the biggest threat for the NDP is always that they just drop out of the media narrative, that they disappear. And uh, this puts them in the thick of it. So to, for them, uh, in that kind of sense of politics, it's it's beneficial. We're already seeing news stories uh, this week with the budget coming up what, next Thursday, uh, this Thursday, uh, asking, you know, will, it, will this uh, partnership pass this test? Well, yeah, I'm sure it will. Um, but the point is, there's a news story about it, and there's a discussion, and there's lengthy quotes from the NDP's finance critic discussing the plans for the dent uh, for for dentistry. Which, by the way, uh, I'm sorry to have to do this, but neither the pharmacare plan nor the dental plan require any provincial consent. So these are these would be strict federal programs. So there's no no worry about that part of the equation in terms of delay. The the other thing though here I think that's important Ed, is two things. One, uh, this is actually just doing something good, uh, and I think at the end of the process, whenever that comes, uh, the, the New Democrats and Jagmeet Singh would like to be like to have people know that uh, they were in it for them, that they weren't thinking just about their own advantage, but rather thinking about Canadians. And, and this comes in a context where we've had a pandemic and many polls have shown that uh, we feel uh, socially divided, socially isolated. We feel that our social safety net uh, has been shown to be weak and got even weaker. Um, so I think, you know, uh, all these kind of deals are ultimately personal deals. So this is a personal deal between Singh and Trudeau. And I am told from NDP insiders that Singh's appeal to Trudeau, uh, strangely, it came, the, the last push came because of conversations with the Emergency Act to get rid of the convoy. Uh, and, and his point was, uh, Canadians are really struggling and we need to uh, rebuild some of the social safety programs that we have to, uh, to try and unite the country. So, you know, far be it to me to actually think that once in a while politicians try and do the right thing. But I think that's maybe what's going on here. Our, our country is somewhat at risk, and uh, there were bigger things, more important things to be done. Now, now, Mario, in the field with, with Research Co., how have Canadians reacted to this deal? You know, it's not something that is out of the ordinary. We've been asked questions about the Liberal and NDP cooperation in our exit polls back in 2019 and in 2021. Similar elections in that sense, because we had the Liberals winning but getting fewer votes than the Conservatives. And there is an appetite for that, both on the side of the NDP voter who wants to play a role in something meaningful, and also in the part of the Liberals who want to have a little more time to figure out where to go. Now, the reality here is there's, it's going to be complicated for the NDP to be able to have a medal to show afterwards. Uh, we have the example of the Liberal Democrats in the UK in 2010, coalition government, everybody works in uh, essentially doing things. And then in the next election, uh, they were decimated. They got very few votes, very few seats. 
it's tough to be the one who says this happened because of me. And I think this is going to be one of the complications for the NDP in the next election, knocking on doors and saying, we got dental, we got pharma. Uh, well, that was actually Mr. Trudeau. So why am I voting for you? That is going to be complicated for the NDP. But at this stage, uh, Canadians aren't reacting very negatively to this. I think there's an expectation that this is something that could happen Ultimately, when we ask about an actual merger of the two parties, that's where the numbers get a little bit lower. Uh, but I think uh, it's not a situation where uh, we'll see people, um, you know, walking down the streets upset because there's an agreement uh, between two uh, supposedly rival parties. Uh, Nelson, we do have a, a federal budget on the way this week. And, and how, what were you, will you be looking for in the budget to see how this agreement is going to be tested? I have no idea what's going to be in the budget, and I'm not looking for anything in particular. Budgets are usually uh, boilerplate uh, statements, very vague. What will count is the legislation that's introduced. You know, I mean, the liberals have been mentioning things like pharmacare, childcare, I don't know, for decades. What counted? I mean, you can keep, and, and of course, they'll talk about reconciliation and climate change, but we're not going to get the flesh on the bones. Now, if I might just follow up on a few comments. Sure. Uh, uh, Mario, I thought, made an interesting point about the analogy with Britain. But we've got a Canadian example where the NDP lost because it went into such an agreement. And that was here in Ontario between 1985 and 1987. The Liberals and the NDP signed a very similar accord. They were committed to five points. I don't remember exactly what they were. And, uh, and that was meant, and it said it was going to hold for two years. After two years, the NDP didn't bring down the government. David Peterson called a snap election. They won a huge majority, and the NDP was way back down. So that does not bode well. Uh, as for Tom's point, and he might be accurate, but it, it, I, I, I don't see it. I don't understand how Denticare... And uh, pharmacare can escape the fact that, in my opinion, these are related to health, and that's under provincial jurisdiction. I can see the government signing, the federal government signing checks, but I can't see it introducing uh, control over dentistry in any of the provinces without the provinces signing on. And sure, they can, I think it's a positive thing for Ottawa to have a formulary where they can. Uh, bid for drugs on a national basis because volume leads to lower prices. But in the end, it's the provinces, I think, that get to pick and choose which drugs they're going to use. What, what do you say about that, Tom? Uh, there's going to be a core, on Pharmacare, there's going to be a core formulary. Mm -hmm. That itself will be kind of interesting to watch because there'll be a debate between kind of uh, minimalist positions and uh, I don't know, is maximalist a, a word, Ed? But you know, some will, with, I, I, I'm sure that the New Democrats will argue for a more robust, and the liberals might, you know, uh, with the drug, drug companies out there, might insurance companies might be pressured to go for a smaller approach. But those, the, the value of economies of scale and purchasing power, uh, having a monopsony on, on, on purchase is can flow through to the provinces. So that's that's the benefit there. It's 100% uh, federal dollars into the program, and then the provinces benefit from them. That's the way that this has been designed. 
Yeah, if I can tag on, though, Ed, the, the issue about 1985 in Ontario was interesting. And two things about it. One, 1985, uh, there was actually 29 points, all of which, all of which were brought by the New Democrats. I recently had a conversation with Ross McClellan, who was the bargaining uh, lead bargainer for the NDP back then. He was the House leader. Uh, and he said the whole thing, all the items that were in, written in were suggestions, were uh, suggestions that were agreed to by the Liberals. Uh, so this uh, happens two years later, as I was said, the, the deal is over, the Liberals win. But important to remember, the NDP at that point became, went from third party to official opposition in 1987, and then they became the government in 1990 after people realized that the Liberals, uh, without NDP guidance, had gone completely adrift. Well, the Liberals hadn't been, and my second point is that the Liberals hadn't been tested uh, in, in terms of what really was their character uh, in 1985. Nobody knew what their character was because they hadn't been elected for you know 42 plus years. Uh, so was was this the authentic David Peterson? Were, was, were he and Ray, were he and the NDP really the same? Um, people couldn't really know. But I think we, we have the experience of the difference between Trudeau and Singh. Uh, preceding the agreement. So uh, it, it makes the NDP's argument a little bit stronger because, well, Mr. Trudeau did nothing about pharmacare in his first six years. He did nothing about dentistry in his first six years. Um, and it really came about because of NDP pressure. Well, uh, go ahead, Tasha. I was going to say, came about, I would say the NDP pressure, it came about about uh, Mr. Trudeau wanting to stay in power for a few more years. And, you know, I know, Tom, you, you, you like to ascribe more noble motives to this and doing the right thing. And one would always like to think our politicians do the right thing. But I think there's a healthy dose here of also doing something for themselves. Um, for Mr. Singh trying to get credit, as you say, though, I agree that's going to be hard to do when the liberals are the ones who are going to sign the deals uh, on these things. Um, and second, I think that, you know, it's it's kind of cynical of, of uh, Mr. Trudeau to suddenly say, oh, yeah, we're going to bring in dental care, uh, when he knows, again, that this is a provincial responsibility. And there are, there are programs in provinces, like in Ontario here, the Healthy Smiles program, which already serves um, underprivileged uh, or low-income families. Um, there are all sorts of things. It's, it's basically going to be like with Pharmacare, a negotiation with the provinces. Quebec is going to say, write me a check. I already have something too. Uh, and will it happen? Who knows? But the point is, Mr. Trudeau is getting on this one because he thinks it will be a popular sell and it will also help keep him in power until he decides to pull the plug. Because I really also think this is not going to last until 2025. This is buying as much time as he feels he needs to either run again or have a successor be put in place so the liberals can presumably win again the next time. Yeah, you know, Tasha, we hear, and you brought this up a little earlier, we hear about the right and the left of the political spectrum. And with this agreement, is there a middle anymore? Huh. I mean, really, uh, the middle is, um, I think there is a middle. I think what the liberals are doing, though, is they're, they're polarizing and the conservatives also, uh, in some measure, depending on uh, what candidate you talk to, are also polarizing in this race. You're seeing a vacating of the middle. And I think that it's because uh, in a in a leadership race, you also have the issue of niche voters and voter bases and targeting those voter bases to sell memberships and be able to win is a different thing that you do when you're trying to win the country. And I think that, um, I mean, I personally believe the conservatives would be best served to win the country and also to serve the country to be in a center right position. I don't think moving further to the right 
um, is necessarily the best recipe. Uh, I also don't think the liberals would be would be serving the country very well if they move too far to the left because we are right now at a trillion plus debt. Um, they have, you know, uh, there's no end of spending in sight. Uh, inflation is is rising. Interest rates are going to rise in consequence as well. Cost of living is becoming more and more difficult for so many people. How are they? How are they going to deal with that? Um, it's you know, it's it's a polarization that is happening that is detrimental. And I think it would be better to see both of the parties um, having, like I said, a left center or slash right center position. My, I vote for the right center, mm. obviously, um, to to make the healthy policies that you know we've been talking about here. Uh, Mario, the, the bloc got the uh, the liberals through the 2021 budget, uh, well, with the NDP as well. But why, why did they go with the NDP and, and not the bloc in a, an agreement like that? Um, I think it sends a very powerful message to do it um, with a separate party uh, that has a broader appeal. I think there would be a, a very bad taste in the mouth of a lot of people in the West if Trudeau decides to extend the hand to the bloc and say there's more than unites us than what separates us. Um, it's a party that tends to be popular in different ways. Uh, when we asked about leadership uh, prior to the 2021 election, uh, Jock Mitzing was always number one when it came to who would babysit your kids, who do you want to have a cup of tea or coffee with, and the numbers just drop when you ask people if they're going to vote for the NDP. So there's definitely that appeal that he has to be part of this deal. And it's definitely not a situation uh, that has an expiry date that will be met. We just went through this process in BC when the NDP and the Greens decided to form this coalition. It wasn't called like that, but it was uh, you know, similar to what is happening right now. And the idea was to have this last for four years. And John Horgan saw the opportunity to capitalize on a very weak leader of the opposition and said, we're going to call this election and that's it and that's final. Now he has a massive majority, uh, uh, very high rating when it comes to his own way of doing things. So there might be an opportunity for Justin Trudeau to say the NDP took us as far as we can. We will capitalize on what is happening with the federal conservatives and then try to get that majority again. So uh, I don't blame the audience for saying that they don't think this is going to last as long because recent history suggests that uh, when it suits the major party, uh, these uh, deals tend to fall off. Uh, Nelson, you uh, you had mentioned the previous uh, liberal NDP uh, agreement coalition from from the eighties. How much are the Ontario Liberals and Ontario NDP now watching this unfold just ahead of a spring election? Oh, they're watching it. I mean, uh, we're all political animals, and they are as much as anybody. Um, it's too early to tell what will happen in Ontario. It looks like Ford's going to win another majority, probably narrower. But uh, where pollsters are off is, yes, they identify that the NDP and the Liberals now have roughly equal support. But what's going to happen in the campaign, which is going to start in a month, I think, from today, is that uh, during the campaign, uh, opposition to the Conservatives and Ford is going to shift either to the NDP or the Liberals. And I think the Liberals are the party with more upside potential because of their strong brand. And let me just, if I may, uh, follow up on some of the comments like sure. uh, Mario's. And there, there is another form of arrangement that happened in Ontario, which might have a lesson for us. And it can also point to how uh, things will operate. A few years ago, when Dalton McGinty was premier, 
he got the NDP to agree to pass a budget on condition that the Liberals would introduce uh, lower insurance rates for automobiles. And in fact, we would move toward public auto insurance. What happened is the NDP got out, out foxed. That didn't happen. The, the savings were marginal. And there the NDP had a chance to bring down an unpopular government and didn't. And here's another factor that people are talking about. The idea that if the liberal numbers go up, Trudeau will go looking for a majority. Yes, that's possible. But more likely is this. If we have another big scandal, like the SNC scandal, which would have brought down the government had there been a minority parliament, uh, the NDP will have an ideal excuse to get out of this agreement. They'll just say, well, the liberals are dragging their feet on the things we agreed to, because the things they agreed to don't have, many of them, firm timelines. So the NDP couldn't get out of this agreement. On the liberal side, what I see it doing, uh, I, as each day goes by, I think that it's less likely Trudeau is going to run in the next election. If he decides to step down in, in 2024, or even at the end of next year, it gives the Liberals an ideal opportunity to choose a new leader. Nobody will be talking about the Liberal NDP Accord, and that leader will not have been a signatory to this deal, and will have an election. Tasha, how do the Conservatives make any political gains considering this arrangement right now? They're obviously going to be sitting in opposition unless the NDP gets trigger happy. Uh, how do you how do you expect them to make gains or is this going to be sort of a slow process for them? Oh, I think, as I alluded earlier, I think the immediate gain is for the so-called blue liberals who don't like this deal. They think the party's moving too far to the left. They also don't like the idea, the image it gives of the liberals and NDP being too cozy. And I know for a fact um, that there are many of them coming to the conservatives, uh, looking at the conservatives or even thinking of joining the conservatives. I've had lots of people connect with me in the last couple of weeks since this deal was announced to say, you know what, uh, can't live with this. And I've heard of people taking out memberships who were, you know, lifelong liberals because they're just they're they're done. And so I think the liberals don't really realize that uh, perhaps they haven't really wrapped their heads around the fact that there is a contingent of liberals who would have been unhappy with this this process. So the conservatives can benefit from that. Uh, like I said earlier, though, it depends which direction the conservatives go in, because I don't think that these blue liberals will stay with a party if it veers very dramatically to the right or embraces policies that they also don't see themselves comfortable with. So for the conservatives to capitalize on this, I think really would be to find a way to um, absorb some of these unhappy people uh, to position themselves um, with a strong center-right platform that can win in the GTA, that can win in Quebec, the kind of positions that they've had in the past, some of the stuff that they did under Stephen Harper too with Law and Order, I think would be very um, appealing as well. And they have the time. And to Nelson's point, um, you know, uh, yeah, the liberal leader might get, if there's a new one, a bounce out of this. I agree. But at the same time, it means that the conservatives will have the time to prepare and to really be in a good position and a good financial position too for the next election. The big losers I think here actually are the NDP because if there is a new liberal leader, that squeezes them out of the equation and the conservatives will be there to mop up the center right. So, you know, it, it could be, again, a squeeze play for the NDP. 
Mario, in looking at some of your numbers, young Canadians seem more supportive of this uh, arrangement between the Liberals and the NDP. Is that a sign that Canadians, mainly, like at least young Canadians, they want a different way of doing politics? I think there's an expectation from the younger Canadians uh, who are usually more centre-left minded uh, to see some action. But I think it also... Uh, one of the issues that actually plays a role in this assessment is the expectation that things happen very quickly. And part of the problem with people who get motivated into voting is that they expect change to happen almost immediately. You know, one, one of the data points that I uh, really like when you look at the voter turnout rates is how it's really high from the 18 to 24 demographic, and then it drops from the 25 to 30. It's the second election that gets people really upset because they got involved, participated, read, and then feel like all the promises that were made were not kept. And you have that drop on, in your late 20s when you go, they're all the same, nothing matters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of what we see here is the expectation that if the two parties that you kind of like can work together on some of the issues that you care about, there will be a future. Now, if we go three years from now with no pharmacare, with no dental care, with a bunch of things that are still out in the open, people might get really upset. And this is what happens with the younger voter. They really want to do something. They want to see some of those ideas implemented. And then when you get down and start to talk about how complicated this is to, to be done, um, they essentially tune out. I, I guess in a way, it, um, Mario, young Canadians aren't blind loyal to a party as opposed to, you know, look at some of the older generations. They're conservative, always have been, family always will be, and that's just it. But young people today seem to be, no, this is what I want now. And it seems that they're not uh, bending to the sort of the party politic, shall we say. Well, one of the moments when we saw this more clearly than ever uh, was 2011. You know, we had an election, we had a debate where Jack Layton was significantly superior to Michael Ignatieff. And on that weekend, we saw the numbers shifting, especially with younger voters who said, this NDP makes more sense than whatever my, uh, Mr. Ignatieff is uh, discussing. And, and that led the NDP to, to its biggest result in history. So there's an opportunity to connect with those voters. But if you do it through policy, you'd better have something to show for it at the end. You know, I don't think they're going to be happy three years from now if we tell them, don't worry, pharmacare is coming by the time you get to your 70s. All right, let's just uh, go around the horn to, to wrap up. Nelson, will this agreement last until 2025? Yes or no? No, I don't think it will. I think it'll collapse in 2024 because we're going to get a new liberal leader. Or if we get a big scandal later this year or next year, that's another recipe for collapse. All right, Tasha, what do you think? Yes or no? Uh, what Nelson said? No, but seriously, I, I, I don't know when or why, but I don't think it will last till 2025. All right, Tom, do you think it'll last till 2025? I think it's, it's impossible to say, uh, you know, the, um, the predicting about the future is, is, is a mugs game. These kind of things are always, uh, tentative. They're always step by step. That's what makes them interesting political stories. That's why, People uh, like this story. That's why the provincial parties in Ontario are um, some of the story is rubbing off on them. And people are having to figure out whether, um, you know, Horvath with her large opposition caucus or Del Duca, who doesn't have a seat, has a very small caucus, uh, who's closer to defeating Doug Ford. So that debate gets all mixed up in there. But 
but it, it, it all plays. And, you know, Mario's comments are, I think, very wise because people do want to see some action. So when we see this budget uh, later this week, um, we want to see the numbers in there and uh, that this uh, hasn't been uh, some sort of, um, uh, as Norman was suggesting, what happened in, in, in previous times, uh, mm. you know, got outfoxed. So uh, this is going to be a continuing story. That's why I think uh, the conservatives get so outraged about it. It's because it's a story they're not particularly in. Uh, okay, so Mario, uh, what do you think? Will it last till 2025? Uh, I think uh, there's a chance that it won't. And more than anything, I think it's related to the place in history for Justin Trudeau. When he gets closer to catching Brian Mulroney, that's when it's going to get interesting. Now that you caught Brian Mulroney, can you catch Stephen Harper? That is going to be the motivation. I want to be higher than Stephen Harper on the number of days served. And I think that is going to define whether he stays or he goes. Now it's All good right. for the country. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, folks. Uh, I want to thank you for for joining us today. Great discussion on uh, on the agreement. We'll see where it's going to lead, in particular with uh, with uh, the budget on the horizon. I want to thank our guest today, Nelson Wiseman, Professor Emeritus at the Department of Political Science at the University of Toronto. Tasha Carradine is a principal and navigator, conservative strategist, columnist, and the co-chair of the Jean Charest Leadership Campaign. Tom Parkin is a commentator and columnist and former NDP candidate. And Mario Kenseko, president of Research Co. Coming up on the next Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at the federal budget coming down later this week. Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. <laughs>